Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your church and thank you for your people that we congregate together this morning to offer up praise and worship to you, Lord. And we ask, oh God, that now in these next few minutes that you would deposit your word in our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive us of our sins so that nothing would be able to keep us from receiving this word. We ask, Lord, that you would give me the grace and the ability to preach it, oh God, according to how you would want it delivered. We ask, Lord, that every word that be shared this morning would be something from your word and not an idea of man or an opinion, but that it would be a holy, supernatural God message to his people. In Jesus' name, we pray for all these things. Amen and amen. Uh, Recently, personally in my life, uh, I've had very unique experiences uh, that have really uh, called my attention um, together with what's taking place in our current climate culturally. And uh, I share the story that when I was on my honeymoon with Mel, uh, almost two years ago, uh, we went to the spa, and in going to the spa, there was this giant 6'4 dude who was shredded, absolutely ripped and jacked, super, super athletic looking. And he separated from who I thought was his wife as she went over to the women's section of the spa, and he went over to the guy's section of the spa. And uh, I said bye to Mel. I said, I'll see you on the other side. Uh, we, you, know, you split to uh, your, the different sides so that you can go to the steam room and the sauna and they have a, a nice bath and all that different stuff. Um, and obviously there's a guy section and a girl section. So I said bye to Mel, I'll see you on the other side to get our massages. And um, as I go into uh, the, this, this men's side, uh, this gentleman, uh, I got paired up with him and he was my buddy for whatever uh, rooms the attendant was going to introduce us to. And I'm looking at this guy, I'm like, bro, this guy has to play for the Miami Marlins. Or he plays for the New York Yankees. He is just giant. I mean, he's just a giant man. And if you've seen a professional athlete in person, uh, you know what I'm talking about. And if not, you can look at Ariel for an idea. <laughs> and he, he, he's just like this giant figure. And so I, I start getting to know him and I start talking to him. And I'm like, oh, so, you know, are you here on your honeymoon with your wife? And he's like, who? And I said, your wife. I just saw you guys, you know, you guys just did the split. We just did the split. Me and my wife were here on our honeymoon. He goes, oh, no, that's not my wife. I am here on my honeymoon but I married my husband, who is a New York attorney. And we're here celebrating uh, our honeymoon. And I was so baffled. I, had, I really didn't know how to respond. You know, this giant guy uh, who, to me, from the outward appearance, didn't have a, a lick of gay. Uh, I said, just looking at you, I knew you were a professional athlete. I could just tell. Uh, and he goes, well, actually, I'm a ballerina from Chicago. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> so I didn't really know what, what more to do at that point. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, that was just one experience. Of course, I went straight to talking about our men's ministry at church and about uh, my dad as a pastor in the church and how I'm there for my, on my honeymoon. And I started to witness to him about the Lord. Um, and then, uh, of course, months later, I would start working at my firm, and uh, I'd have to start finding a new barber because I had moved uh, from my parents' house over to another area of town. And so I found this other spot, and there was a lady in there 
who had the best reviews on Yelp. So I said, why not? You know, if a thousand people got their haircut from her and she apparently did a good enough job so that she got five stars from these people, she can't mess me up, right? So I went to get a haircut with her. And as I started talking to her uh, in conversation, she was like a 50-something-year-old Cuban lady. Uh, and as she's cutting my hair, I start, whistling, I start talking to her about our church. I start talking about uh, my job and Mel. And uh, she tells me, oh, yeah, I, was, I got married uh, some 10 years ago. And uh, I'm like, oh, what's your husband's name? No, it's not my husband. It's my wife. Her name is Christy. And I'm just like, wow, okay. So I was like, all right. Well, uh, I start, you know, talking to her and uh, speaking to her about the Lord. And uh, that was just my second, you know, another just back-to-back experience. And then just recently, uh, I was gifted some suits from Maggie, who was able to find some suits. And I needed to them to get tailored. And so I found a tailor, and I invited him over. Uh, to tailor my suits are a little bit big on me and uh, as I start talking to him he starts telling me you guys are getting ahead of me already Pastor Rivera is already like ay, 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 you know he's like so he's I start talking to him and I'm like oh so are you married I had heard he was a family man and he uh, he said yeah I'm married to my husband for 10 years um, and I'm you know and and it's something that's somewhat it's somewhat comical, but at the same time, in our in many people for years and years and decades and decades, they've never encountered somebody who actually lives you know the LGBTQ lifestyle. It's not something that's very common to the old folks, but us young generation, this is something. It's like Nick, you had an average Tuesday, buddy. You know, you're you welcome to life. You know, and especially now, uh, if you haven't realized yet. June is Gay Pride Month, or at least the world celebrates June as Gay Pride Month. And for the whole month, you'll see all these different businesses, you'll see all these different schools, you'll see all these different companies promoting this LGBTQ community and celebrating the life that they live. And uh, it's, it's something that kind of speaks to the climate of our generation of how far we are from where God has called us to be. And uh, in, this, in this year of world-changing compassion, I personally, from all the experiences that I've been experiencing, uh, together with uh, this, uh, this month of June where Gay Pride is celebrated, I couldn't sit back without asking the Lord to give me a word for not just the church, but for me personally, because these people are lost just like all of us were lost at some point in time. Uh, they need Jesus, and, and some might argue they need Jesus more than maybe we do. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that we can't just turn a blind eye and just ignore that this exists. Um, to be frank with you, it is a taboo topic. It's not something that I'm comfortable uh, with addressing. God is still dealing in my heart in terms of helping me find the right words to reach out to these people. But in seeking the Lord, uh, I said, God, I can't come up and, 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 and meet these people who have these various struggles um, and not have something to tell them, not have something to address in their life so that they would find Jesus. And the Bible, uh, the Lord brought me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and this is verse 9, where the Bible starts saying, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, because neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. 
So here we see this conglomerate of persons that the Bible is telling us are not welcomed into the kingdom of God in the disposition that they currently hold. But the next verse reads, as such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. And so God showed me, listen, Nick, these people are no different than the other people you congregate on Sunday mornings at church. They just don't have Jesus yet. They're still lost. They haven't come and been introduced to the love of Christ that was displayed to them on the cross when Jesus died for them. They still haven't been introduced to the fact that God has a plan for them, that God has called them to repent, and that one day God's hopeful that he will spend eternity with them. It says in 1 Peter, or excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some might consider slackness, but he is exceedingly patient towards us, not willing that anybody should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Everybody. God's heart is that everybody be invited into his plan of salvation. He doesn't discriminate against anyone. No matter how far gone they might be in outer darkness, God still makes a way. God's intentions was still to reach out through Jesus Christ to offer an opportunity to express his love to these people. The Bible tells us that, yes, while in Leviticus 18, 22 and 29, that homosexuality is an abomination, it's a very twisted form of living according to biblical standards for traditional and God-biblical marriage, God's desire is that these people do not perish. And it's very interesting to me that in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, which we had just recently read, it says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And under that group of the unrighteous, he starts to read that it's not just that homosexuals are bad. It's not just that sodomites are bad or not going to inherit the kingdom of God, but rather fornicators are not included in the kingdom of God, idolaters, adulterers, thieves, covetous, drunkards. And it finishes by saying, as such were some of you. So, the LGBTQ community has a bone to pick with conservatives and with Republicans and with the church because a vast majority of people love to sit on a white horse criticizing and judging a whole group that's practicing the sexual morality when behind the scenes, they also participate in pornography, in adultery, they're divorced, they're fornicating, they're cheating on their spouse. And so now there's two hypocrites pointing at each other saying, how dare you criticize my lifestyle choices and my way of living if you're just as bad as I am? So as the tailor was getting me sewed up and he was putting pins all over my sleeves and my pants and my waist and my jacket, I start getting to know a little bit of his backstory. And he tells me that uh, back when he was 14 years old growing up in Costa Rica, he had three other sisters and his mom. And at 14 years old, his dad leaves him abandons the family, just completely neglects them, and goes to the United States. And so he is raised fatherless, and he tries to work and help provide. Now, he's considered the man of the home. He's the only boy in the family, and he's trying to help his mom make me, uh, ends meet, and he's trying to help raise his three sisters. And when he 
30 years later is approximately 40-something years old, he moves to the United States. And when he gets here to the United States, he says he always had a heart to want to reconcile the relationship that he lost with his dad. Now, by this time, he had already uh, made the decision that he was a homosexual, and he decided to participate in that lifestyle. But through a mutual friend, he was able to find his dad and ultimately reconnect. And he reached out to his dad and said, Dad, you know, I know that you left us. I know that you abandoned us. And, you know, you know our relationship hasn't always been there. But I want to make an opportunity to try and reconcile that. And um, so him and his dad meet. And in meeting with his dad, uh, somehow there's some type of exchange where the conversation turns somewhat hostile and aggressive. And in the middle of their exchange and discussion, uh, the dad tells him, my, my tailor, says, I, can't, I just can't believe that you're gay. I can't believe that you're just so gay. Like, that's just so revolting to me. And this gentleman turns to his dad and tells him, Dad, when I was 14 years old, you left me, my three sisters, and my mom in Costa Rica, and you completely abandoned us. You neglected us. If anything, you're more feminine than I am. The Bible says that a person who neglects his family, a person that abandons his family, is worse than a non-believer. There's so many parents today that are so confused, they're so worried, they have no idea why their, their family is dabbling in uh, to this culture, this, this Pride Month, this LGBTQ. And it very well may be that they never got a taste of existence of something that was worth or attractive to them in traditional marriage. So mom and dad, they can't produce something that's so attractive in a heterosexual relationship. They can't produce something that's so attractive in Christianity that they veer off the beaten path wrongly. I'm not justifying or excusing the decision that they're making, but ultimately, what example were they given? So now, the Bible calls us, you, you all fit in that unrighteous, un unrighteous group. But, God's message to the homosexual community, just as it is to any other community, is, I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you so much. I'm willing to give my one and only son to die on a cross so that there's opportunity for repentance and reconciliation. That's God's heart. God's heart is that not one person will be perished, but that everybody would be cleansed, would be sanctified, and would be justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. We all fit in the unrighteous group. Standing right next to us might have been the adulterer, might have been the fornicator, and along that same group line was a homosexual. And the only reason we can proudly announce that we no longer associate with that unrighteous group is only because of Jesus Christ. It was only Jesus Christ and his sacrifice that made a way, made an opportunity for us to be able to be sanctified and cleansed and purified. It was God that cleansed us, not we ourselves. So we can't stand back, look at this group of people that are hurting, that are suffering, that are in their wayward ways and not allow opportunity for them to repent. To tell them that Jesus loves them, which is what I did with my barber. And I said, you know, Chena, my name's Chena. 
Has anybody ever told you that Jesus loves you? Has anybody told you why Jesus loves you? How he, what he did to demonstrate the fact that he loves you? He goes, well, I've heard that. You know, who hasn't heard Jesus loves you? We see it on bumper stickers. We see it on T-shirts. We see it on magnets. We see it all the way. And she goes, of course I know that Jesus loves me. I'm like, but do you know why? Do you know how? She goes, no, I really don't know. I said, well, when you die one day, are you going to go to heaven or are you going to go to hell? I'm, go- I'm going to heaven. I'm, I'm going to heaven. On-, on the weekend, I'm a good person. I cut kids' hairs at the orphanage, you know, and, and-, and I-, I do my best to be a good person. I said, well, Chena, uh, do you know the Ten Commandments? She goes, well, I'm, I'm kind of familiar with the Ten Commandments. I'm like, okay, well, do you know that there's some commandments that say, you know, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, you know, thou shalt not uh, miss the Sabbath, you know, honor your parents. She goes, yeah. And I said, well, have you ever broken any of those commandments? And she's like, well, yeah, I've said a lie. I've stolen something in the past. Um, you know, I, I, I might have missed a couple church services in my life. And I said, well, if you go up to heaven and you have broken all these commandments, God is going to hold you accountable for the decisions that you've made. And there's consequences to those decisions. And the Bible says that not one unrighteous person can get into heaven. And so she was like a little bit distraught at this point. She was very quiet. She was cutting my hair at this point. uh, And I was kind of worried she was going to mess up. Um, There's a good thing and a bad thing about when you preach to your barber. On the one hand, it's a captive audience. They can't go anywhere. They got to finish cutting your hair. Uh, on the other hand, they could give you a nice little rank. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, Nick. You know, so she, she, she starts realizing, you know, she's in trouble one day. She's going to be in trouble one day when she stands before God, the throne room of God, and she has to give an account for the life that she's chosen, for the decisions that she's made. Um, and I said, you know what? Jesus loves you so much that even though we've made mistakes, even though we're imperfect, even though we aren't the best of people, he still loves us. And he died on a cross that we can be reconciled to him. If we ask for forgiveness, there's more than enough grace and mercy to reach us to make opportunity for us to be saved. So she's freaking out. And I said, are you willing to to say a prayer with me and ask Jesus to to be your Lord and Savior? Are you willing to make that decision to make Jesus Christ, you know, your your Lord? She says, look, Nick, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if I'm ready to do that, make that decision. This was all in Spanish, mind you, so I was bad tripping. You know, I'm like, Lord, have grace, because I don't know how to present the gospel in English too good, and now in Spanish, forget about it. <laughs> and she says, look, I, you know, I don't know if I'm ready. I said, well, will you do me a favor? Will you consider Will you consider what we've talked about here today? Would you take it seriously? And she goes, you know what, Nick, I promise you I'm going to think about it. I said, okay. Uh, she goes, Nick, I got to tell you something. I had already been going to her for like two or three months. And every time I sat in that chair, my heart started racing because I knew, I knew that I was there for a reason to present the gospel to her. I'm not there to waste my time. I'm not there, you know, once somebody tells you, oh, my marriage is horrible, it's going bad, you're just like, wow, that's horrible, man. If only I went to a church that focused on family and that had a save your marriage campaign and that, you know, had a men's ministry, you know. No, so I'm sitting there and and my heart was pounding because I knew I had to present the gospel to her. She was lost. She needed Jesus. I have Jesus. I have an opportunity to be a vessel in God's hands to present the gospel to her. Whether she decides to make that decision or not, that's totally on her. But I have a responsibility as a Christian to preach the gospel, just as the gospel was preached to me. So she tells me, Nick, you know what? After three months of me struggling, kind of bringing it up, not bringing it up, kind of bringing it up. 
after I finally presented the gospel, she goes, listen, every time you sit in this chair and you talk to me about your church, every time you sit in that chair and you talk to me about what you're learning at your church, what you're preaching about, I love it. It actually brings like a peace over me. And in fact, I haven't told you this yet, but for the past three months, every time you sit in this chair and get your hair cut, I feel a supernatural, I can't even explain it, this, this weird supernatural presence, the same presence that I feel in the very few times that I've been to church. We have no idea the supernatural presence that we carry in the Holy Spirit, that in these opportunities where we encounter the lost, where we meet people that need Jesus, he'll give us the right words. He'll give us the grace sufficient to reach them. We're not anything special. Me and my own power, I, I, have, I have no idea how to confront certain life problems that people face, but the Holy Spirit does. And if we're willing and able, and if we're humble enough to respect that we were part of the unrighteous group, but now have been saved by grace, we also can reach out to the lost. Jesus will give you the right words to share to these people. Amen. John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world. He so loved the world. And in that world, he included homosexual people. He included fornicators. He included adulterers. He included liars and thieves. The love of God was more than sufficient so that it didn't exclude any particular people group. The love of God is so thorough it could go into the profound areas of utter darkness and reach out and pull out and save the lost. God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, whoever it is, it doesn't matter. God doesn't discriminate. Whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The message of God to anybody, anyone who hasn't received Jesus yet, is that Jesus loves them and is welcoming them, in, welcoming, welcoming them in with open arms. There's an open invitation. I shared this last night with the youth group. If God was having a wedding, which he is, he would invite everybody. Everybody would come. It doesn't matter if they're weird, if they're kind of lazy, if they're boring. If they, it doesn't matter who it is. God was inviting everybody to participate in his wedding. Is there certain standards? Are there certain criteria for you to come into the wedding? Absolutely. But everybody's invited. Everybody's given an opportunity to repent. We are not excusing an immoral lifestyle. We are not excusing divorce. We're not making a justification for, for fornication. We're not doing it for the homosexual people either. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 5.20, woe to those who call uh, evil good and good evil who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter so it's not to say that our world changing compassion is to tolerate sin but rather that we hate sin so much we would hate to see it destroy our fellow uh, human our fellow brother and sister in Jude 1 7 it tells us that yes that God hates this lifestyle in fact he destroyed whole cities because of this lifestyle. 
as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner, these were given over to sexual immorality and going after strange flesh. And they were therefore set as an example for suffering with vengeance and eternal fire. However, Jesus always gave opportunity for a decision to be made. Before he destroyed these cities, he sent Abraham and the angels into the city to create opportunity for repentance. It says in John 3.16, Yeah, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish and have everlasting life. God's disposition wasn't that he would come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. But the verses following that show us the reality, the truth, that although there was an abundance of love and grace and mercy extended to a lost people, a decision was made where people rejected God's love. They rejected his offering. They rejected his plan of salvation. And for that reason, they were excluded from entering into the kingdom of God. But not before an invitation was given. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, the Bible says, don't ignore the truth. Don't forget to speak about the truth, but rather speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love, not apologizing for your biblical beliefs, not feeling bad because you believe that homosexuality or fornication or adultery or liars or thieves are sinners, but rather doing it from a perspective of understanding that you were just as bad before you met them. That if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, you wouldn't be able to go into heaven either. And so I, I've been struggling with this. I've been going back and forth. I've been studying the Bible, trying to figure out, you know, wh what's the proper approach? And we see that in John chapter 4, verse 7 where Jesus has just finished ministering around town and he finds himself in Samaria and he encounters a woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. And in verse seven, it says that she came to the well and Jesus asks her, hey, can you give me a drink? And in verse eight, it says that the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food so that Jesus was alone with her at this time, verse nine. It says that the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me who's a Samaritan woman because Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And, and this is very similar to the current cultural climate where Christians don't associate with the LGBTQ people, right? It, it, it rubs us wrong. It makes us feel, you know, it, it makes us feel aggressive sometimes. We feel uh, uh, we have a hard time relating with them, speaking or presenting the gospel to them. And it says here in verse 10 that Jesus answers her and says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Yeah, Jesus didn't make exceptions for this woman either. He had healed the lepers. He had healed the sick. He had presented teachings and parables to all these people. Now he comes in, 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 in communication with a Samaritan woman who at this point in time was involved in her own sexual morality. And we'll later read that when he starts presenting an opportunity for repentance and he starts talking about this living water that we just referenced, she says, what, what is it that you're talking about that's willing to satisfy my soul? 
Because everybody here in this room, we met Jesus and we accepted him because we needed our souls to be satisfied. We all were thirsty for something. We all were missing love or peace or joy or restoration or reconciliation. We were missing something. There was, there was a void in our hearts that Jesus came to fill. And lost people, gay, straight, or otherwise, have that same void, the void that only Jesus can fill. And here that Samaritan woman, she's dealing with her own sexual immorality. And Jesus goes and says, I'm willing to offer you this living water. And if you could go ahead and drop down to the verse that says, go and call your husband and tell him to come back and meet with me. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus replies to her, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man that you have now is not your husband. So Jesus doesn't ignore the fact that she's in sin. His compassion isn't without, isn't seasoned with truth. He doesn't ignore, oh, you know, I don't know, I don't know about your husband's situation. I'm sure that the five guys are just, you know, jerks, and that's why you're on their sixth one. No, he says, listen, you're, you're in serious problems here. You're not living life according to how God teaches it. You're not going to be blessed. You're not going to find fulfillment. That isn't real love that's being offered to you. It's not genuine. And the fifth and the sixth person that you're with right now is not even your husband either. So not only have you committed adultery all these five times, now you're on your sixth one, potentially fornication if they're not married. But the way that Jesus was able to reach out to her, the compassion in his voice, his ability to connect with her and speak with her, his ability to look at her as a person, she responded, she said, listen, I have no idea what you're talking to me. I'm a Samaritan woman. Jews and Samaritans aren't supposed to be, you know, speaking, seen together. And he says, listen, there's an issue beyond whatever race relations we have. Do you want living water? Do you want your thirst quenched or not? And it says that because Jesus was so compassionate yet full of truth, was so graceful but yet so convicting, this woman runs back to her town having had an encounter with Jesus Christ and all the men in her town came out and met Jesus because of the, what she had witnessed that day. The truth of the matter is that God has established the church to stand as the beacon of hope to the world to reach the lost. And when this church spring of life comes into counter with somebody who is struggling with whatever walk of life, being in this place, the greenhouse effect that is the presence of God, they'll be saved. And their family will be saved. And their husband will be saved. And their wife will be saved. And God can reconcile and restore whoever it is that calls upon the name of the Lord because they will be saved. Years ago, there was a man who was a transgender. He was a man that was dressing as a woman. And he was taking hormone pills and growing out his hair and living his life pretending to be a woman. Deceived into thinking that he was actually a woman, that God had made a mistake in his life and that he was in a man's body, although he was supposed to be a woman. And as he continued to go through the process to ultimately have the gender uh, change, a sex change surgery, um, he ends up hearing a little chorus in his mind that he had learned way back when, when he was five or six years old in Sunday school in his church. And the song was, yes, Jesus loves me. In his mind, 
transgender, waiting to have the surgery the following day, actually. And he hears in his mind God yelling, screaming at him, I still love you. I still have open arms to you. I'm still giving you an opportunity to come back to me. And it says that he reached out there and he says, Lord, I don't know if you're real or not. I haven't heard the gospel in I don't know how many years, but if you're real, I need a sign from you and I'll change. And it says that the next day when she woke up on the front page of the newspaper, there was a huge announcement that said that the department of the hospital where he was going to have the sex change surgery had closed down effective immediately. So he starts going where? Starts going to church. I would love to see the church's reaction the first day we have a transgender person walk in this place. Because while we might see on the outside somebody that's confused, somebody that's deceived, somebody that is lost, God sees the next Cy Rogers, who that gentleman, saved by grace, became the number one evangelist to the LGBT community of all time. He got married, he became a grandfather, and completely was restored because of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Some of us came in here and we were the biggest porn addicts anybody had ever seen. And you were still received here with open arms, with a big hug. If Josue was ushering that day, you probably, or Gary, you would have gotten the biggest hug of your life, the biggest welcoming, and that's the house of God. It's a place where where people would come and they would find restoration. They would find a, a, a satisfaction for their souls. They would find a hope that is Jesus Christ. Not to remain the same, not so that they could continue on in their sin, but that they could be changed forevermore for the better. As Jesus was going around towns, and if you would excuse me, I'm trying to find the reference. This is Mark chapter two, verse 16. It says that Jesus was criticized by the scribes and the Pharisees who saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners. And they said to his disciples, how dare he, how can he eat and drink with these tax collectors and these gay people and these sinners and these horrible people? I mean, how dare he go out there and, 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 and participate and be in fellowship with these people? Verse 17. And when Jesus heard them, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a doctor. Instead, those who are sick, for I did not come to call the righteous, but I came to save sinners to call them to repentance. How dare Nick get his hair cut by a barber who's a lesbian? I mean, it's just the audacity is unbelievable. Jesus didn't come to, to, to heal the righteous. Jesus didn't come to save the people that didn't need saving. Jesus didn't come just to save straight people. The invitation was for everybody. And if it wasn't for everybody, then the love of God is valueless. Because if his grace isn't able to save the worst of the worst sinners, which Paul actually, he, he takes the title. So whatever other person you meet that's a sinner, Paul, you just think to yourself, Paul was worse than that guy somehow. God can save anybody and everyone because he loves everyone makes no exception for them. Let's stand to our feet here this morning.
the Bible tells us that the only reason we know what love is and how we've experienced love, the only way we've come to know what love actually was, was because Christ loved us first. That's the only way. We love him because he first loved us. In fact, the Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, while we were still gay, while we were still fornicating, while we were still adultering, while we were still in pornography, while we were still lying and stealing, Christ died for us. God makes no exception of persons. Like we read earlier, his desire, God's heart, is that this place will be flooded with anyone and everyone that's willing to accept him. And I want to say something a little more. Your loved one, that person in your life that's struggling with whatever sin it may be, they're never too far gone. It's never too late. There's always opportunity for repentance. You keep being faithful and you keep giving an example of what a God-fearing, loving, compassionate person is and the presence of God, just like my barber. The presence of God that surrounds and floods your home is something that's undeniable. You never know if God is there speaking, whispering into these people's hearts, into these people's minds. You have no idea what God is trying to reach out to these people. You will put in their lives for a particular reason to reach out and to save them, not to despise them, not to shun them off, but to invite them to this church like I have all these, all these other uh, people I've come to meet with. My brothers, they met, they're messing with me now, and they said, Nick, I think that the Lord is calling you to an LGBTQ ministry. And I'm like, listen, we'll keep praying about that. But as a Christian, not just the pastors, not just the leaders of the church, everyone has an obligation to spread the gospel message to all the lost. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to conclude this message by, by praying also for anybody here they either know someone, maybe, maybe there is somebody here who's never experienced the love of God and has their struggles and has, is dealing with, a, with homosexuality. I'm glad you're here. Father God, we thank you for this time that we've had together as a church to read through the scriptures and to understand that your heart is that everyone would be saved. Your heart is that everybody would have an opportunity to be restored and reconciled. Father God, we thank you because that same desire, that love that you expressed to the world was what reached us and brought us to this house. Lord, I pray that we would have a humble approach full of meekness and with fear of understanding that the difference between us and anyone else is just Jesus and his love. We ask God if there's anybody here in this place that has yet experienced your love, has yet come to repentance and ask for forgiveness of their ways, oh God, that tonight, that today would be an opportunity for salvation to enter into their, their minds. We pray, Lord, that you, Jesus, would come and penetrate the hearts, the hardest of hearts, oh God, that people would come away feeling the love of your church and the love of Christ in their lives. Lord Jesus, I ask that if there's anybody here in this place that has a relative, that has a friend, that has someone in their life that has not come yet to know you, we pray, Lord, that you would fill them with boldness to speak the truth and to present the gospel, to tell them that Jesus loves them and died on a cross for them, 
and offers opportunity for repentance. We pray if there's anybody here in this place that has a relative that is in the LGBTQ community, oh God. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name that you would bring them home to this church, that they would get saved, that they would come to realize that the only true love, the only genuine love that exists is a love that was demonstrated to us by Jesus Christ. That there's nothing satisfying, just like the woman at the well. There's nothing satisfying in all the counterfeit loves and love relationships that exist in the world. Only one sincere and genuine love will satiate our thirst. And that's the love of Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to give them hope, help give them, uh, these family members, uh, the, the hope of knowing that you're working and that you love the lost more than we do. Help us give an example of what real genuine love is, the love through Jesus Christ, oh God. Give us the right words, seasons with grace to present the gospel. In Jesus' name, we pray for all these things. Amen and amen. You guys are dismissed. Thank you so much for coming.